Hi, I'm Jesse Gender. You may know me from being a weird dork on YouTube making video essays about LGBTQ topics as well as science fiction, and you are listening to Trek Untold. Hello and welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. While a lot of this show is spent talking to people who performed in Star Trek shows, I also really enjoy using this platform to connect with other content creators. I don't think I do that enough because I really do like getting that one-on-one time with so many of these actors I've spoken to, but there's definitely some YouTubers and podcasters out there that I want to get to know more about. And that brings us to today's guest, someone whose work I'm a big fan of and a person that I very much admire. Jesse Earl, aka Jesse Gender, is a YouTuber whose focus has been on Star Trek, but a side of Star Trek that is rarely discussed. Many of her videos focus on the sexuality and gender discussion within Star Trek and sci-fi as a whole, ranging from serious topics about inclusion and representation to more fun things like Klingon anatomy and just how horny Gene Roddenberry actually was. If you're unfamiliar with her work, I point you to her Sex and Star Trek series, which at this time has covered the original series and The Next Generation very, very in-depth. And I'm glad to say that there are more of those series on the way that are going to cover all the Star Trek shows. These are super long videos, but they are incredibly informative, entertaining, and meticulously researched videos that will really change the way you looked at some of your favorite characters and episodes. When Jessie isn't making videos about her favorite fandoms, she's also challenging her audience to take a look at some heavy topics in media. And as a trans woman, her experiences are very, very different than mine, and maybe a lot of you out there. She uses her distinctive voice to look at the best and the worst of sci-fi and geek culture, and that's why I had to have her join the show today. We're diving into some very deep and very heavy topics, so a warning to any of our listeners out there since we do discuss very sensitive and very mature themes throughout this episode. And by the way, I also just want to mention that as you're listening to this show, you might notice that Jesse's speech is going to be a little muffled sounding today at times, and that's because we chatted not too long after she had just revealed her post-facial harmonization surgery. As a result of her recovery process, her cheeks were still a little bit puffy, so for anyone not familiar with Jessie, I can promise you she doesn't normally sound like she has cotton balls in her mouth, very much quite the opposite. But in spite of that, there is still a lot of great conversation to be had here, so I hope you stick around for it. Oh, also, <clears throat> Kirk and Spock slash fix. Sex ed on the Enterprise. That's Jessie Gender. You'll find out why I did that haiku in a few minutes. But anyway, enough of this very lengthy intro here. Let's spend some time now getting to know Jesse Gender. But before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you to follow Trek Untold on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold, all one word. You can get show updates, check out some fun memes, and let me know what you think about what's going on with the current events in the Star Trek universe. You can also support this show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can listen to the shows before they come out, know about my guests well in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, get transcripts of these episodes to make sure you get all the info, and more benefits coming soon, including watch parties and live streams. But that's all dependent on more fans like you coming over and letting me know you want to be a part of events like that. If you want some Trek Untold merchandise, check out our Teespring store for gear and apparel, including shirts, hats, stickers, water bottles, notebooks, and a whole lot more. New designs will be added throughout the year, so it's always worth taking a peek. 
Trek Untold also has an Amazon shop where you can peruse everything Star Trek, sci-fi, and geeky on Amazon in one convenient location. If you're looking for a gift for the Trekkie in your life, or maybe you want to see some of my favorite non-Star Trek things that you can get for yourself, check out the link for my Amazon shop in the show notes on the audio version and in the description below this video on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platforms that allow for ratings and reviews, please leave us a 5-star rating and a positive review to help out this show. If you're watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. All of these things help more people find this show and to continue growing and bringing you awesome guests each and every week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining us on the other side of the screen, all the way across the internet, we are now joined by one of Star Trek's, I'd say, uh, greatest current content creators out there on YouTube, <laughs> doing some real amazing, interesting stuff. Hey, we're, we're talking to Jesse Gender today, folks. Jesse, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for that intro. I, that was very nice. That was super sweet. I like that. <laughs> I've got much more nice things to say about you that'll be in the other intro that Rebel heard you haven't heard yet. I got to write that one, though. It's going to be very flowery. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, good, good. I'll be I'll hold you to that. I'll hold, I'll call you out if it's not really nice and sweet. There should be a poem. I want it to be a sonnet. <laughs> I've got a haiku that I've been working on for about a week now. So I'm yes, going to workshop right. that and then we'll, that'll probably be what gets into the intro. <laughs> I'm here for it. But yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. I'm I'm actually honored. I've listened to your podcast several times, so it's actually really cool to to be on the show. Oh, thank you so much. And I've been watching your stuff for quite some time also. I've really seen uh, what I feel like has been just like a meteoric rise uh, into real prominence in, in Star Trek YouTubing world. So uh, I, I'm really, really happy to be able to pick your brain today and uh, learn a lot more about what you do, learn more about yourself uh, and really talk about all sorts of things, because we are going to, I guess, for lack of better terms, we're going to go there today. We're going to cover some <laughs> topics that are, I think are going to be pretty big. Uh, and I'm excited that you're going to be the one talking about those with me. Awesome. We're going to boldly go, as they say. Oh, yes. Perfect segue. Is this why you're a pro? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I'll take it. <laughs> so, yeah, Hello. let's just jump right on into things here. And, uh, you know, I'm going to ask you, of course, the first question I'd like to ask all my guests. And Jesse, what is your earliest memory of Star Trek? That's like the biggest question probably ever mm. in this case. But, yeah, what's what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? I okay, so I always love telling this story because I always feel that I have the weirdest entry point for Star Trek. In that, my first memory of Star Trek is my parents were divorced. So on the weekends, my mom would drop me off and at my dad's, we'd like they sort of like meet in the middle, and I'd have to drive an hour to get to my dad's house because that's that's where I'd spend the weekends. And my dad would always like play like music or audiobooks on the drive back home. And one day he started playing his audiobook on the drive, and it was the Star Trek Nemesis audiobook. Which I don't know if you remember these audiobooks, they, they don't do it as like they don't do them so much now. Like the audiobooks they do now are just straight people reading them. Um, but back then they had like sound effects and they had music and all these things. So I was listening to it. And I'm like, what is this? This is so cool. Uh, and then I like stole the audiobook from him. And it was like a library one, which I never returned. I think I still have it deep in my mom's basement somewhere uh, <laughs> that I just listened to over and over and over again. And he finally was like, all right, you're listening to the Star Trek Nemesis audiobook. Did you know this was a whole thing? Uh, and so for I think it was uh, my birthday that year, he got me season seven of Star Trek The Next Generation on DVD. So I went from the Star Trek Nemesis audiobook to Descent Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Not part one, part two. And then I just kept going from there. Um, and then I started watching uh, Star Trek Enterprise week to week, starting with season three of, of Star Trek Enterprise. So my my I like worked weirdly backwards through Trek, like Star Trek Nemesis audiobook, then TNG season seven, then Enterprise season three. 
and just gone from there. It just it just slowly kept going up. <laughs> I've never heard anybody really talk about the audiobooks before. That is a, that's an amazing point of entry. I love it. I okay. I will uh, this this could get us into a whole sidetrack, but I will I will uh, talk forever about the Star Trek audiobooks. Like I love them to death. There are so many good ones. Um, and honestly, dr- if I had to like pick a dream job uh, right now, besides like making my own Star Trek show, it would be the director for like an audio drama like version of Star Trek. Where I could like like Big Finish does for Doctor Who, where I could just make a whole bunch of like audio dramas for Star Trek because I love audio dramas to death. So I, mean, I think that sounds to me like that's going to be the next direction of your content and your channel. Maybe that's not like mm-hmm. a good idea. I want to piece I, of that action. I'm actually I'm actually just as I said, I'm actually working on trying to get an audio drama made, not Star Trek, uh, sadly, but something. So, yeah, I, I, I could extol the virtues of audio drama for a very long time. All right. Well, just kind of keep going on this uh, personal point here. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about where you were born? who your parents are and what did Jesse want to be when Jesse grew up? <laughs> um, so I was born in New York, uh, around the Buffalo area. But like I said, my, my parents were divorced and I don't really remember them, uh, ever being together. Uh, I always remember them just being divorced, even though they were, uh, together for most of my childhood up until like, like I was like three or four and they both remarried. And so I spent most of my childhood kind of flitting between the two of them. Uh, during the week, I was with my mom and went to school there. And I was an only child and she had remarried. Uh, and then on the weekends, I would go to my dad's house and I uh, would spend that as the eldest of three kids. Um, so I had a stepbrother and a half sister. And my stepbrother would also go to his dad's because my my dad had remarried uh, a woman who already had a uh, a kid, my stepbrother. So I was like the eldest of three and then also the eldest of two. <laughs> so it was like it was a very uh, multi-perspective childhood is what I like to say. It's it's it's. I think it like helped inform how I like to sort of look at the world from different facets, different points of view and different uh, like ways of seeing the world. Um, and and I think that my childhood kind of reflected that. And it's also probably what draws me to Star Trek, incidentally, with this whole idea of infinite diversity and infinite combinations, because it just sort of reflects my my like just love to like see things from varied perspectives around the world and and from different human viewpoints. And then in terms of what I wanted to be when I grew up, like I always kind of not necessarily doing what I'm doing right now, which is like YouTube content creation, because that really wasn't like it was around when I was getting older, but it wasn't like really a thing. But I always wanted to make video and film. I actually went to school for um, for uh, film studies. Like I went in for to go into doing film um, because I I just loved and, and Star Trek very clearly inspired this. Like this was the franchise that inspired this. I loved how stories are able to tell emotionally uh, truths about humanity and, and and try to inspire or persuade people into understanding how to like believe in the betterment of humanity, to pursue our better selves, to explore like what it means to be to be human. And I always just loved that so much, um, and so it's what I pursued. And and it's kind of mixed with as I've grown older. You know, we'll, we'll get, talk about this as we go, but like coming out as transgender and, and also realizing that there's a lot of like advocacy work and education and and desire to like try to uh, explain about like different marginalized group, groups, both my own and and others, ones that I want to learn about and, and sort of fight for. Um, it, it's sort of mixed with that to sort of be doing what I'm doing now, which is trying to I'm still trying to figure out that alchemy of making content that inspires and, and does those those emotional stories will also educates and advocates at the same time. So, yeah. That's one of the interesting things about the medium of film, especially is what you can do with it and what you can mm-hmm. choose to do with it. Cause you know, uh, people always will say, 
I almost feel like we're jumping into our Star Trek talk a little bit earlier, but they'll always say how, you know, it's like, I just want to be entertained. I don't want to learn something and that kind of thing. But really, yep. it's a tool and it can be used in any way. And quite honestly, film, just like books and comics and, and oftentimes music are very much a reflection of our contemporary society. So it's mm-hmm. always going to be sociopolitical, even if it doesn't sound like it is. Exactly. I mean, everything, I mean, people, people always seem to balk at this, but everything is political because everything is about something, right? If If something isn't about something then i ultimately don't know why it's why it's being made and so literally everything is about trying to inspire trying to persuade trying to teach trying to to move you um in some way and so in in that sense like everything has a message a meaning um behind it despite what some people may argue to the contrary which i'm sure we'll talk about (laughs) oh oh yeah we'll we'll definitely get there and uh you know not to get super personal too early on in this interview but i'm going to get super personal here very early on in this interview but uh you know i'd like to hear when did you realize that you were not the person you saw in the mirror? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's an interesting question because like you always kind of feel it. Like for me, I always I always felt it that there was just something that didn't like really fit right, and it's hard to articulate. and And I feel like to a degree, I think all of us, and this is something that I try to explain to a lot of people because when we talk about trans issues, we talk about it very in a very otherized way, where it's like oh, it's this mysterious thing that like I can never understand the trans experience. But I think all of us feel in some way like we don't fit into these boxes that we're told to be in. We're like, we're told to be a certain way we don't fit. And for me, that came out in a gendered way in like how I was told to like the clothing I was supposed to wear, the way I was supposed to act, the way I felt about my own body and, and my comfort in my own body. And as I grew older, I started to get more and more ways to express and understand that. Uh, in in different ways, partially through art, like Jadzia Dax in in Deep Space Nine. I think like I, I I do really recall like watching Jadzia and seeing her be a character that was like, oh, I I kind of see myself in in what she is as like an alien entity, as this trill um, uh, uh, metaphor that could be equated to a trans experience. Um, and so I started feeling that and then I started doing searches and the internet was a thing getting, getting, uh, getting sort of more and more attention and, and more places. Internet you speak of. I know, I know. I was trying to like figure out how to like say the word, but my brain like died on me there. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, like the internet was just uh, like, I was able to go on the internet and start searching. Um, and I found like things about at the time the word was like transsexual. Um, and I started learning more and more about that. And yeah, that was just sort of how I discovered that by like just finding words for myself. And then there was just ways that I, I tried to explore that, but it was always on the down low. So I would like steal my mother's clothing and try it on when she wasn't there. Um, I would, uh, you know, try to play video games. Like this was always like an interesting thing with video games. Like I tried to play video games as like a girl, but I always like had to hide those files in case my brother or my mom saw it. Like, oh God, you're playing. It's like, they wouldn't care. It was a game that was like the point is to play someone other than yourself. But I like, I felt like I would reveal something about myself. They found out I played like Mass Effect as a girl. Um, so yeah, that, that was just sort of how I started uncovering who I was as a person. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up like the video game thing, especially. And I feel like that's very much a shared sentiment among a lot of people who are kind of learning about their, their gender as they get older. Like video games is typically the first place they'll go into. I mean, if it's a fighting game, they'll play as a female character or they'll play as whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's kind of all about, I guess, having the freedom to explore, but also not having necessarily physical, tangible consequences. Exactly. I mean, that's, that's what I love about gaming so much. I mean, it's again, I can extrapolate out to art um as well as a whole but like art gives us the chance to explore experiences beyond our own to see things from new perspectives and video games 
uh, take that even further by allowing us to have agency within that. Like we get to like be like, what it, would it feel like if I got to like be someone that the characters around me saw as a woman, like in Mass Effect, like they use she, her pronouns for her. And then I can, you know, have a romance with a guy as a woman. And what would that feel like? And what would that, what would that seem like? And so it just allows you to sort of place yourselves into these, these molds, which uh, again, we can, we'll get into this later on, but it's like, it's always why I'm like, People always ask, like, you need to have the, this type of protagonist, this type of person as the lead of the show, uh, as this thing that, like, matches who I look like. Um, and I'm just like, but, 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 like, not only that is, like, just ultimately, like, it, there's, a, like, sexist, racist, and other different undertones to all of that. But even beyond that, it's like, you're limiting what, like, your experience, what you can learn and see and understand about the world. Like, don't you want to, like, see what other people think and feel and understand? Why does it always have to be filtered through the viewpoint uh, that matches your own? I think it's just, it's it's limiting in that sense, which is why I just, I, it's why I love art and games, because it just allows that exploration. I mean, isn't that, like, the, just the biggest miscommunication just in general with anybody? It's like not being able to stand in someone else's shoes. It's That's basically mm-hmm. the simplest way to put it, but it's very much true. I mean, it's not a problem until it affects you or someone you know. We see that all the time in so many different facets of life, and mm-hmm. not even talking politics. But, yeah, it, it's it's a very, very good point, though. And, um, you know, I want to jump on this also because you mentioned Dax, and uh, I don't remember the title of the video, but I think it was about uh, gender conforming. And you talked about how it wasn't actually necessarily Jadzia as much as it was Esri that kind of helped mm. you discover uh, a little more about your gender. So can you kind of go into a little bit about that, please? Yeah. So I actually, so Jetsia, the way I like to describe it is Jetsia is the person who I always like want to be and aspire to be. But Esri is the person who, at least at one point in my life, I was uh, <laughs> like Jetsia just comes into the world like as this fully formed person who is just so confident in her identity uh and you see that in so many different ways with like there's that famous scene that people say like klingon says klingon say trans rights where like uh uh was it core yeah. comes up to her and says like uh uh occurs on my old friend and she says oh it's jed sia now and she says well jed sia my old friend and that's a great moment for klingons being like oh just quick flipping this uh switch like understanding affirming that person's identity but it also shows jed sia is like this person who's like yeah i'm confident in who i am to the point where, like, you know, Ben can call her old man as a term of endearment, as a term of friendship, but it doesn't, like, negate her as, like, this confident woman. And she is someone who's just as equally able to, like, beat you up with a bat left and also wear a hot, like, sexy dress and have a fire dancer at her at her uh, bachelor party, our bachelorette party. So that she's always that person that, like, I want to be. And then, especially re-watching recently over the past few years, which is why I made the video that you're, you're uh, I think, you're referring to, is... Looking back, Esri has such like baby trans energy. Like that's something in the transgender community we talk about. Uh, like when someone's just starting to come out, uh, like you just have this like a baby, you're like a baby trans. Um, and you're just like trying to figure things out and you're like, does this work? I'm not sure. Like there's this one wonderful moment, um, that Esri has in, uh, I think it's Prodigal Daughter where she's with her family and she's like, it's an awkward dinner with her family. Um, they don't really know how to accept her as like a newly as a new trail uh, host, uh, which many trans people can be like, uh, like, oh, as a out, like a recently out trans person with a mildly uncomfortable family. Very, very understandable. Uh, and she's like and she literally says something like I wake up in the morning. I don't know what pronouns I'm supposed to use. And I don't know if I'm a boy or a girl. And it, like she literally like jokes about it. And it's just like, oh, yeah, I have that same energy of like I'm still finding my identity. And so I just love Esri as this character who just 
she's she's on that path to getting to where Jadzia is. And she ultimately does kind of get there towards the end of her her run on the show, where it's like she becomes uh, understanding her fullness of her identity. And, and it's interesting to me looking at those two characters, because in in some ways, I as a kid, I was before either of them. Right. I wasn't Esri or Jadzia, but Jesse was the one that I wanted to be. And I didn't really identify with Esri as much as a kid because like she was this transitional place and then coming back to her years later now where i i still feel like very uncomfortable i mean we all have this sort of like oh god who am i what am i doing in this world what am i trying i'm trying to figure myself out but I, I i look at esri now and i realize like oh i went through what she went through i've had the experience that she had and now i'm probably closer to jadzia in the sense that like i am confident in myself um, to the point where, like, you know, I talk about on my channel trans issues and LGBTQ issues and issues that unfortunately should not be, but have been so vilified and politicized and put into our discourse today as like these uh, taboo or, or, or um, awful topics that are uh, like uh, sexualizing kids and all that jazz. Um, so I, I get a lot of people, you know, harassing and attacking me and things like that. And 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 I've ultimately come to learn, like, for the most part, those things don't bother me anymore because I am confident in who I am. Um, and so I look at someone like Jadzia and while I still don't necessarily feel I have as confident as she ever it will be, there's an element of like, yeah, I, I, I do have that sense of myself and my identity in a way that I never had before. Uh, but Esri was someone I now can relate to on the sense that I had her experience. Anyways, that was a long answer to your question, but hopefully it was <laughs> no, good. It's, it's a very good answer. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder, too, if, if Terry Farrell even felt as confident as Dax did, because it is, you know, it is mm-hmm. acting. But I mean, very much so. It's it's definitely probably helping, I think, a lot of people out there. And that's why it's good to hear these kinds of things. Um, yeah. So we're going to come back to a lot of that stuff, because I want to get now back into YouTubing and content making, because you mentioned your your film production background, your film history, film studies background, rather. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, let's kind of just go into a bit more of that. So... You're out of college. You've done this. I don't know if you made a student film or not, but you've done whatever you need I to did. do. You're it's the, on, you're it's on Amazon. It exists. <laughs> oh, oh, my. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Sorry. So you're, you're basically out in the professional world now. So how does that lead you down the path of YouTubing? Uh, so ooh, um, so it kind of dovetails with my trans experience, too. So I, I, I actually came out as trans right at the tail end of my college experience. I actually... Um, did a semester my last semester of college i went to la i took college in ithaca new york at ithaca college but i did a last semester in la and right before that semester i came out to a couple close friends um and started exploring my trans identity and then uh during that semester in la i actually came back to uh for spring break i came back home and came out to the rest of my friends at college and also came out to my parents um and that's a whole story we can get into later if we want to but what that meant was after college, I, I was sort of faced with this choice where it's like I could go off to L.A. And, and start pursuing the career that I wanted to do as a filmmaker, or I could take the time to do what I, I knew I kind of needed to, which was start transitioning. And I knew it would be difficult to go to L.A. and try to find a job and transition at the same time without like the support network of my family and friends that I had around me. So the first year or so after college, I just spent working at a Starbucks in my college town near where because some of my friends still lived in the area and and sort of transitioning there. And it was ultimately the right choice because it was a, a very difficult emotional time for me for numerous different reasons, like being after college, figuring out who I am, transitioning, dealing with hormones, which is its whole like basically a second puberty, which is its own whole thing. Um, so there was that. But after that year, uh, I still wasn't done. 
uh, transitioning. I mean, I, I even now just recently had one of my last surgeries just a couple of months ago. And I've been out for almost uh, eight or nine years at this point, somewhere around that vicinity. Um, maybe, yeah, eight or nine years. Um, and so, uh, but I, I decided after about a year, like I've been on hormones enough time and I, I feel good enough that I can go to LA. So I moved to LA and uh, LA is definitely a, a culture shock in a lot of senses. I, I don't really love uh, Los Angeles all that much as a city. Um, it's very spread out, very isolating as a city uh, because like it's hard to drive anywhere. It's hard to get anywhere. Um, uh, and so you're sort of like stuck in your own home because you don't want to go out. You don't want to drive somewhere. Um, and everyone's so far away that you're just kind of like left isolated alone. And then the Hollywood business is also tough to crack into. Uh, so ultimately, I got a job uh, after I worked Starbucks for a while. Ultimately, then got a job as a um, it was like a, a how do I best describe it? It was someone who did metadata for TV shows being put on iTunes. So whenever you like buy like bought singular episodes of TV shows on iTunes, which I don't even know if you can even do anymore, um, <laughs> they would send the episodes up and you'd see like, oh, all the actors that are listed there, all the voice actors that are listed in there. So my job was like, I would pull all that like TV, um, like Disney and Warner Brothers would send their files to us. And then we'd have to correlate all their information, set it up in the metadata to be sent to iTunes and then send it to iTunes. It's a very... Uh, very terrible job um that like was soul crushing because you learn how much people care about asinine things i mean i had like literally like executives of 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 companies that i can't say specifically which ones uh because i get in trouble but like yelling because like uh, we we got a video up at one minute past midnight instead of midnight and there was like a minor misspelling of an actor's name that like we had to like fix right now at 1202 p.m or am or else like everything would be wrong and i'm like who who can't, like oh no oh no this episode is slightly off it was it, it's a rough job and it sucks um people who probably get uppity if like you uh send a, an email with like lots of people in it and the order of the names is not the right order I, oh I, I, yes very yeah, much so yep those kind of people so there's that and i almost like quit la and just wanted to go home after that but i got lucky because I got hired. I, I uh, got hired by a company called um, it was called Here Media at the time. It's Pride Media now, but they are the company that makes the magazines, The Advocate, uh, Pride.com, and Out Magazine. Which, if you're LGBTQ, you'll probably recognize at least one of those as like some of the most prominent and biggest names in in LGBTQ media uh, in terms of like news magazines and and things like that. And they were making a video department, so I was the second person ever hired for their video department. Um, and basically we were kind of given full reign to make our own content and try new things. We weren't given any money and we were using our own equipment. <laughs> like the company was very, very poor, uh, in terms of like giving us like money to do stuff, which is like the tale of many companies. Um, but it was an opportunity to like try out new things and it started to get me to push my voice and, and find my voice as, as a creator. Um, and I also knew that I loved being on camera. I liked like acting and, and being a weirdo dork. Um, and, and so that was the company where I started to find, and you'll, if you go back and find those videos, if they, if they're up, um, like me starting to marry, like talking about trans issues and nerdy issues at the same time and figuring that out. Um, and it was just so much fun to do that. And I loved that. I, I just love this, like getting to make content really quickly and fast. You get your own voice and you get to say it. But I also knew that like I, I wasn't I was still trying to like match their identity. And so what I started to do at that time is I started to do my own YouTube content where it was like my biggest fear was just 
not having something to say or not being able to do something good, like you know, all those like barriers in your head that you have um, to making stuff. And I just said, okay, what I'm just going to do is I'm just going to do YouTube and just make something. It just like the goal is not to do it well necessarily. It's just to put something out. And I've set myself a goal of doing it every single week. So every single week, I just made a new thing, made a new thing, and made a new thing. And, and I just kept doing it and doing it over and over and over again. And you just get better at it the more you make something. And and it also sort of gets you over that hurdle of the fear of putting something out, of of, of it not being good enough. Because I think half the battle is just getting over that fear of the blank page. And so that's just how I got into content creation. I just kept growing and growing from there to the point where I had, you know, I left the advocate. I, I got some other jobs doing other film production stuff at like Microsoft and um, the, the Museum of Pop Culture up here in Seattle, which is where I live now. Um, but ultimately, like, I just kept doing YouTube stuff and it kept growing. And I still getting more confident in my own voice to where you see me, I'm where I'm at now. And that's some really great advice, too. And it's the same kind of thing I tell people when they ask, you know, how do I get onto the YouTube thing? How do I get started? And really, it is just literally do it. Mm -hmm. Just stop listening to the voices in your head. They're lying to you. Just do it. Don't worry about it. Just put the fear aside. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, what, what I've done, I don't know if you've done this as well, because you can kind of talk about this, you know, for your very first videos, you know, uh, and even to this day, I still do this where I compartmentalize, where I'm not myself necessarily. I become someone else so that I can mm -hmm. look at myself when I edit and that I can hear my voice and not be disgusted by it. So, um, yeah. you know, it's a thing you learn to ultimately cope with and you become more comfortable with over time. But, uh, you know, it's just very much really the YouTuber's experience to kind of discover that that part about how this, this whole thing works and just doing it. Yeah, no, you have to. You have to do that. Like you. It, especially like someone like me or any content creator that like does stuff of them of themselves and like makes their own content. You have to like, look at yourself as like a, a character in your own work, whether or not like I, for me, I do like over the top performance stuff and costumes and cosplay and all that jazz in some of my, in my work. But even, even beyond that, if you're just someone who is just like talking into a microphone um, or something simple like that, you still have to like kind of, create this persona version of yourself that you're sort of putting on the internet. Um, not only just for your own like protection of like being able to like look at a piece of work without um, you're always going to have bias uh, towards it, but like a little bit more aesthetically and being like, all right, what, what, what is this doing? How does this function? How does this work? What am I portraying? What is this? What is the vibe that I get up off? But also like uh, for, um, for that, like ability to like make your message be heard better. Um, and it's just sort of interesting how that, that, that is a muscle that you evolve over time. It's not something you eventually get right off the bat. I mean, some, some people like come out of the gate and just knowing exactly how to do it, but really it's, it's more of a, a practice muscle that you just do over and over and over and over again and just get better at. And, you know, with your videos, especially, they are pretty intimate in a lot of ways because you're really divulging a lot of stuff about yourself. And so I'd like to kind of hear about, you know, when we talk about being a YouTuber, that oftentimes does mean divulging things about yourself and kind of removing this barrier between you and the audience. Mm -hmm. uh, so have you found it easier to talk about yourself and your experiences in front of a camera as opposed to doing it in front of people you actually know in real life? Ah, uh, yes. And I, I mean, I don't even know. That's an interesting question because, like, I, I, I the way I've always thought about it recently is, like, I had you know, talking about trans issues, that was the secret that I held in my in, in my head for so long. It was this thing that I like, I had a, a bag of like clothing that I had students stolen from my brother's closet underneath my bed so no one would find it. Uh, I, I hid it. it. I never told anyone about it. Uh, and so it was this like dark kept secret. And now that thing that meant so much to me to hide from everybody is the thing that in a lot of cases is the first thing that people know about me now like whether you you know you see me or i'm like i'm talking about it it's, it's just this thing so it's in a lot of ways i'm i'm kind of an open book 
I'm happy to talk about whatever I, I want to about something. And I, when I, so in real life, I'm, I'm fairly open about talking about whatever. It's really more like, what's your line? Um, and so when I'm talking about it in a video, it's not harder. It's more just trying to make sure that it's going to have a purpose or an effect. It, it, it's one of those like hard lines where you're like looking at your work as, again, this thing that you're putting out into the world. And you're trying to figure out like what what is this piece of me that I'm revealing to the world going to add to the piece? Is it going to be an emotional appeal? Is it going to be something that like makes people connect with it more? Is it going to uh, illuminate a, a an argument that I want to to say? Um, but ultimately, when I do those things too, the the goal that I found usually what I do reveal about myself is ultimately to try to make a human connection with someone about some of these things that are very sometimes heady or intangible or difficult to talk about, especially with trans issues. You know, I was talking about it just a minute ago. Like we, we in so much of our society today tend to view transness as other, as different, as, as this strange thing that like, Oh, look at that trans person. Isn't that crazy or weird? That's how a lot of society views trans people and trans issues. And, and, and what I want to always show people is like, yeah, we can talk about gender philosophy and whatever. I could pull out the gender theory book on you. We could talk about that all day and I'd love to. It's great. But at the end of the day, it's all about describing human experience and human emotion and, and a human person. And I, my feelings about my life are, are not so radically strange from another person's experience of life that you can't connect with it. I think like the the moment that was most telling for me was after I had come out, it was like a few months after I'd come out and I had a friend who w- listened to me talk about my trans experience. And after I would explain to them what I was feeling and that person would just go, ah, oh, I could never understand that. I could never, that's so, oh, you're, you're so like, that's such a unique experience. I could just never understand that. But I connected with that this way. And then they would go on to explain how they connected with that emotionally. And they would just, it was like, a, it happened for like an hour, just over and over and over again. And I just like had to stop and be like, so you understand perfectly just in a different way. <laughs> it's just like, maybe mine's through my gender. My anxiety about my body is like, oh, I, I felt uncomfortable because of this, but someone will experience because of their weight or how they're told to, uh, you know, talk in a certain way or be a certain way. Like how men are told to be like uh, strong and tough. And maybe you have someone who isn't like, I'm not the, I'm not the alpha male kind of guy, even though they still like, identify as a dude or like, it, it's just, we all have these anxieties about how we're told to be versus who we actually are. And, and our feelings of how we're living up and not living up to those expectations. Um, and, and transness is just one way that that happens. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. Good answer. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, so Jesse, let's now get into the nitty gritty of the YouTube world. Let's talk about how you make your videos. So mm-hmm. you know, as I mentioned, your videos, they can be any length from short form to long form to extremely long form. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that's not a bad thing either. It's, you know, audiences want to hear different things. That's one of the great things about YouTube. There's a place for every kind of video out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, let's take one of your longer videos, for example. Um, how does a typical video get made start to finish? Um. So. My, uh, it's one of the interesting benefits and problems with YouTube, as you said, is like, it's, it's a kind of a flip free playground. And, uh, there's something nice about like people saying like, this is your limit. You have to make a 45 minute television show. And so it all has to fit into 45 minutes. And and sometimes that limit is nice. So for me, it's, it's always difficult to be like, all right, how do I, 
how do I choose what this video is ultimately going to be? And I'm still figuring that out. Like I clearly could do better or worse or, uh, you know, it's all about like that sort of thing. But for me, in terms of conceptualizing a video, it will generally be like either a topic that I'm sort of interested in or one that I've seen crop up a bunch of times, like in my comments on my videos, like someone, like I see this comment constantly come up of like this issue about transness, or it's a conversation that's going on around transness um, or at Star Trek or something like that. Like to use a specific one, like Sex and Star Trek, which is a series that I'm doing that was inspired by Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, you know, I had an episode in season two where they had, they showed like a quick scene of an orgy. Uh, and uh, then there was like this sort of pushback online between like, oh, this is is this what Star Trek is now? Sex in my Star Trek? And I and as someone who's just knows way too much about Star Trek, I'm like Gene Roddenberry. What was horny as all hell? What are you talking about? Like, have you seen the original uniforms with like the skirts and and him talking about sex and everything? And like, literally, like, there's a whole episode about how Spock, uh, you know, needs to fuck every seven years. You know, like he was a very horny man. Uh, and it's always Star Trek's always been that way. So that that video got inspired by like, oh, I I reacted to that, and so I just wanted to like I started writing and, and getting inspired. Um. And so generally, I, I get the idea. And uh, depending on if like the video needs to happen right now, but if it's a longer form video, what I usually will do is I will create on my phone um, just like thoughts, like little bubbles of like, OK, here's a thought. Here's a thought. It'll just be like a little bit of notepad uh, sort of things. Um, just like different ideas that I want to make sure that I have in there. Uh, I'll start doing reading and listening to podcasts or things that are about it just to like spark ideas. And it'll just grow and grow and grow until I feel like, okay, there's this like cloud of information that I've built up around myself that I'm just sort of like per- like percolating within the uh, within the idea. And then I'll sit down um, in, in in a day and I'll just like just start writing. You know, I'll, I'll sometimes outline it. I'll have an outline by the notes that I have, but I'll just start writing. Um, and if I've done research or like things again, I'll like, you know, I've done research. So I'll like grab the book that I'm like, okay, where's some quotes that I want to like pull from or things that I remember the saying that I want to like directly cite. Um, uh, and I, and I just sort of like outline the thought process. Um, and, and I get the script out over the course of like a few days and then I'll either, you know, pass it to someone to look over to give thoughts back on, or I'll sort of like give myself a day and then come back to it and like read it aloud to try to cut things out or, or, or see what needs to be removed or what's redundant, which is something I need to get better. Like editing is always the hardest part for me. Like creating something is great, but like editing a script, not editing a video, but like editing a script is always the part that I think I can always do better. Cause if you watch videos, sometimes I'm a little bit over redundant and verbose as this interview is also showcasing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I love, I love to talk. And so being more concise is something that is an element that I'm working to improve on right now. But anyways, from there, uh, I, I always try to, uh, on top of that, then add like a, and it doesn't happen with all my videos, but like the bigger ones, I always try to add like a, what's the flair is like kind of what I like. Is it, is it a costume I'm going to wear? Is it a, is it a structural thing that I'm going to do differently? Is it something I'm going to play with in the edit? Like there's a video I did called um uh, the nature of work, which is all about like horror and it had this like horror theme to it. So it's like, I, I wanted to like showcase these like glitch ideas. Like I always want to add this, like a little bit of like, pizzazz to the video so it's not just like person in front of a video talking to you some of my videos are that when they need to be like quick and fast and it's not a topic that i think needs addressing but for the most part i added i had like a little bit of artistic flair in some way shape or form and then i i just go out and film that um you know it's it's video essay type stuff so it's nothing generally too elaborate it's like in my home with a green screen and costuming and getting all that stuff together um it's been getting more and more of that lately where i do even more um but i film everything uh, I put it in the editing timeline, edit it, do editing for it and, and get it done. Um, and then and then it goes up. 
Uh, so that's the the quick timeline of it. So. You know, one of the things that I really appreciate about your videos, and I think that most Trekkies do, is the amount of research that you do in these things, because mm-hmm. it's just crazy. I mean, uh, yeah, some of the things you put in there, I don't, I've never even heard of. Uh, one, <laughs> this is an odd one, but yeah, in the video actually that was about uh, sex and Star Trek on TNG, you mentioned a memo about uh, the Ferengi and their enlarged mm. genitals. I never heard that ever, and oh, that's, that's like yep. that's such an amazing piece of information. Uh, I just it just blows my mind. But yeah, uh, I got to tell Armin Chimmer one of these days about that. But, you know, it's uh, great. It's it, and yeah. like I said, some of that stuff is just stuff that like I've encountered already. And I just like have to find it and remember it because I've again, be it big Trekkie. I already just know it. Yeah. Like um, how much of that actually just is purely your encyclopedic knowledge of this franchise versus you kind of digging deep to do the research, to discover more things about it. I mean, for that, I mean, it depends on the topic, but like for Star Trek, generally, like I, I just, I listen, I'm, I'm in the franchise all the time. So I like, I'm reading about stuff. I have books on books. So I've read a bunch of it. So it's more just for something like that. It's more just like refining it. So like, I'm just like, I remember there was a memo that like I was listening to this podcast that they mentioned it. So now I got to go find that. And so it's just, it's just sort of like trying to remember where stuff is that I had already encountered. Whereas something else, like I'll try and go and do the research again. I think it's a lot of it's just about like, percolating in something before you start writing about it and for me for trek it's just like i'm always in in it like i'm always there so it always sort of comes kind of readily so i kind of already know where to look for things um whereas other topics if i'm like breaking down like a trans issue or other things like that that's where i'll like i'll I'll have to like kind of sit for a little bit longer trying to find something because i'll just sort of like need to explore the topic and i'll find books to read or things to sort of explore upon it but it's all about like sitting with it firsthand um but yeah, there's like weird stuff. Like I'm doing, uh, if you want to like hear weird things, like I'll just use this random side. Like one thing that I, I just encountered years ago that I'm now going to put in my Deep Space Nine sex and Star Trek videos. Like there's a whole uh, comic series called Star Trek Starfleet Academy about Nog at the Academy. I and in that, recently. yeah, it's great. And in that, in, in, in that book, the writer of the book uh, wanted to make um, one of the main characters gay, the lead guy gay in that book. And and he wasn't able to. And there's a whole story that I'll get into in my Deep Space Nine video on that. Um, but then, like, he was able to add a gay character in the last book of, or near the end of that run. Um, and, and sort of an interesting discussion about that. And if that's just something that, like, I knew beforehand because I had read those comics years ago. Um, but now it's going to be part of the video. So it's like an immediate, like, a piece that I just sort of had offhand that I I, I can add in. And that is a very good comic series, by the way. And that was during that weird time when Marvel had the rights to Star Trek. Because, man, Star mm-hmm. Trek has jumped around to, like, so many different companies. One of these days, I'm going to do a video just about that. Because, man, Star Trek has had so many incarnations in comic form. It's kind of nuts. It's awesome, though. I love I, I love, I love Star Trek comics so much. Um, aside from Eagle Moss, which is, is, is currently in its own sort of thing right now. Um, yeah. They had a graphic novel collection that I have collected uh, most of. Um, and I, I love reading those comics because like, there's such a, and it's in novels too. I, I love Trek novels as well because there's such like a interesting, like time capsule of what Star Trek is at the time that they were made. Cause people like say, like we, we look back when we talk about Star Trek canon being like, this is what it was, but you forget, like, it's a, always an evolving artistic concept and comic writers are sort of unbound by so many different things. So you like, look at early comics of Star Trek where they didn't even like the old um 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 the gold um, key comics the gold key comics where they like were working off of star trek where the episodes weren't even released yet they just had like images promo images so the enterprise had like rockets like the the warp <laughs> engines were like rockets so you see fire coming out of them in the comic and that's like what people thought of it to the point or you'd get like stuff in like um uh the dc comics where there's like a whole like mirror universe adventure that you get to see that set between star trek 
three and four, but then the movie fourth movie comes out and they're like, oh crap, they never actually left Vulcan. So now we need to like make them go back to Vulcan in the comic book to like make them reattach there, even though that makes no sense. They had like Captain Kirk got a whole other ship and everything, but nope, now he's back to Vulcan right where he was. Um, and and you just like see you. I, I just love these little comic books because there's just you get just like see the like different ways that Star Trek could have gone uh, based on the information that they had on hand based on like what people understood to be canon at that time. Jesse, you are a much braver YouTuber than I am as well, because you use so much copyrighted footage in your videos because they're basically <laughs> video essays where you have to kind of show these things. And that's, you mm-hmm. know, uh, something that you're doing, I assume, without a signed permission release from Paramount from CBS. And, you know, like, personally, I'm very afraid to do that because I had another channel long ago, which is still around. Uh, and I would use things back before, you know, back when YouTube was still more of a Wild West. Uh, mm-hmm. I was a little bit more OK using some footage. And then one day, the comp- one of the companies in particular that I use footage from, they were just like, nah. And my channel mm-hmm. died overnight. I was shut down. I was demonetized. Mm-hmm. I lost, you know, I mean, eventually the channel got remonetized, but all my work, mm-hmm. basically all the money I was making from it, especially disappeared amazingly, yeah. just instantly like that. So, you know, I guess these days things are a little bit different, but I'm curious, you know, how big of a hurdle is it for you to use third party footage? And, you know, like if CBS one day said to you, Hey, we don't want anyone using our stuff anymore. And your channel gets demonetized. I mean, are, are you afraid of that ever being a possibility? Are you afraid of just losing your channel because of something like that? Oh, I mean, 100%, uh, to to some degree or another. Um, I, I mean, it hasn't changed all that much. I mean, quite literally, like an hour before we started this interview, I uploaded a video uh, that was just a listicle. For my, I have a secondary channel, which is just like me, just more like offhand stuff. But uh, Jesse Gender I, After Dark? Yes, that one. Um, and I, I uploaded it. a video. Yep, <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, I just uploaded a listicle uh, that just used some clips from the episode. And I just spent like an hour, uh, like uh, they copyright claimed a bunch of stuff on that video but I, they have a dispute process now where you're able to dispute it and and youtube's gotten better about it the way it used to work on youtube where is if like if uh first off like there was no gradation if you got a copyright claim it was like a strike against your channel and three strikes are out whereas then it became okay you can uh you can get a copyright claim and then you can dispute it um and but it's sort of like up to them to just just to to determine whether or not it's okay and obviously they have so it gives like the people disputing it all the power and legally if as long as you're under fair use law you're allowed to use clips as long as you're commentating on them or altering their context to like say something different so like if i'm like talking about an episode and like saying like here's a clip of picard talking about like this sex bit or whatever i'm using the clip for and like then i talk about it more like that's fair use because i'm commentating on it. i'm changing the context of it. i'm not just like putting the clip up online um which would be illegal it's just so that's sort of just stealing it because you're just putting the thing on there without commentating on it which i agree with um but obviously like that great gradation is 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 not really seen and stuff uh so yeah i mean like that's that's always a pain in the ass and youtube a lot of the time still to this day just gives a lot of the power to the the companies to to determine that um and you can dispute it now and at, at least thankfully the way it used to work is like if you disputed it you'd have to wait like 30 days before your video could go up or until they responded um now it's a little bit better where like if they don't respond in three days the video can go up while the dispute is ongoing and then you can sort of see they release it or not uh i've been lucky enough that when i've disputed stuff cbs has been uh, cbs and other companies are generally pretty good nowadays about being like yeah we'll let it go there's some that'll be a persnickety about it music companies specifically will never like even if you are using unfair use will never let go uh, uh of, of it um but yeah it, it is it is kind of a pain um 
And the way I've sort of thought about it in my mind is a lot of the time what these disputes will do is they'll they'll claim them. They can do two things. They can either claim all your money um, from the video, like take all the money from the, even if it's only a two second clip, they get all the money from the video, which sucks. Um, but uh, but ultimately, at that point, like I am lucky enough that I have enough you know, support from patrons um, and, you know, sponsorships of patrons is really where I make most of my money um, that like, it's not like a worry, like edit, I don't even factor really in my YouTube income. Um, it, like it's a nice bonus um, of what I get, but it's just sort of like, I, I kind of ignore that. Uh, and cause I, I, I can't really, it's not consistent. So I can't really factor it into my finances. Um, so it's a nice bonus, but like ultimately it's claimed and I don't get any of the money from it, but the video is able to go up then whatever. It's fine. Frustrating, but fine. If it's something that they block the video, because they can choose to do that, where it's just like they they block the video so it never goes up again, like you, no one can see it. That's where I'll start getting upset and try to dispute and go around re-editing and refilming and and disputing harder. Um, so yeah, that's that's sort of the 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 long answer to that complicated businessy question. Well, it, it is a very complicated thing because I think it's one of the things that, you know, once someone gets on YouTube, they don't really think about it until it's too late. And then you get your first copyright strike and then you're just freaking out. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's mm -hmm. why I definitely wanted to bring it up here because, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of folks listening who want to do what you're doing. And uh, it's definitely something to be aware of because it's scary when you get that first thing on your channel saying, hey, guess what? You're not supposed to have that in your video. Uh, so good to know it's, how it works. It's a pain in the ass, uh, especially if you need to re-edit stuff. But I will say, don't be afraid. Like the first dispute is like, the first dispute is is fine if you if they turn it down and you dispute again that's when the copyright claim comes but generally the first dispute will be uh will be safe to dispute and i found most of the time when you dispute the company will be good and say and, and let it go as long as you they give you a chance to write something and i have a copy and paste thing that i a form that i i have right now that i just sort of stick in the different things but you just say this fault like and you have to be firm you can't say i think this is like this falls under fair use like state declarative like this falls under fair use i i change the context of it to be about this it is not just this i also you know say in the video or try to say in the video to support the full release of the thing and if you just state those sort of things generally i found most companies release. sometimes there'll be a buts about it uh but generally that'll be the case trek untold will return momentarily Truck Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, TFP creates 3D printed Star Trek and sci-fi inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, a Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Mego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the U.S., with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay what you want section, where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold has a special discount code just for you. Enter UNTOLD10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using Untold 10. To see all of their products, 
head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions, where something is only impossible until it happens. Are you looking for the perfect fashion statement to show you're a geek and proud of it? Well, welcome to Geek Girls Castle, where I make fun and functional geeky clothing and accessories for every occasion. My name is Missy, and I started creating my own gear and apparel in 2015 to bring nerdy products to the geek girl population, which does include all LGBTQA+, non-binary, and POC and BIPOC folks. I couldn't find anything for us gals except t-shirts, so I decided to combine my passion for fashion with my fandoms ranging from handmade skirts with really large pockets, travel accessories like toiletry bags, luggage tags, and zippered pouches. I also embroider nerdy items for home decor like wall hangings and hand towels, and products like keychains, bookmarks, and journal covers. Need something to carry all that in? Well, I make great bags to put all those accessories into or onto. Whether you like Star Trek, Star Wars, Doctor Who, Marvel, DC, and everything else in between, there is something for every geek girl. My website is constantly updated with new styles and fandoms, no matter what time or dimension you come from. If you'd like to browse my products or ask for something custom, visit me at geekgirlscastle.com. That's geekgirlscastle.com. And we've talked a few times now about the length of your videos, too. And I want to bring that up because you hear this all the time with YouTubers. They're saying, you know, the length is very important. Uh, there's like, you know, number one, the magic number to get revenue, which is always 10 minutes or, you know, eight to 10 minutes somewhere. That's like to get that special good premium YouTube revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's folks who say, well, no, the audience attention is so minimal. You want to make like only maybe four minutes at most. And then there's folks like you who are doing things that are like five hours long, uh, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. just completely is just like, nah, forget you, YouTube. I know what I'm doing. And it's working. Um, and it, it basically kind of just proves that uh, there's not just one simple thing that does everything. I mean, I know YouTube shorts right now are like the next big thing, but mm-hmm. it's not quite the same as making, you know, a 90 minute long piece that is very informative, very entertaining and, and keeping eyes on it. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess I'd kind of like to hear a little about what your take is on just the landscape of YouTube these days and especially video length, because that is really a, a big key to becoming a successful YouTuber. But, you know, sometimes time doesn't really make a difference. It, I mean, it does. I mean, it, it's, it's part of the audience you build, right? Um, and, and what you're expecting. And, and and to be fair, I am not the best at this. This is actually one thing I'm trying to do better about because yeah, I do make five hour long videos. And, you know, the audience that I've cultivated over time are video are people that are, 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 are down for that sort of thing. Like they're down, like, oh, they see a five hour video is like, yeah, exciting. Um, and obviously I don't, and the point is like, I don't intend people to ever sit down, like some people will, but I don't intend people to sit and watch five hours. It's sort of like break it up over time. And I try to make it piecemeal like that. And there are benefits to that in the YouTube algorithm. Cause right now YouTube waits like watch time. Cause they want to keep you on the platform. So the longer a video is watched, the better, you know, they'll promote it, the better it'll do the things like that. So sometimes longer videos are good. Um, and it, and it also kind of fits like, you know, I, I, you know, talking politics, you know, I fall into, I'm kind of like on the periphery of what people would call like bread tube or left tube, which is like leftist content creator YouTube. Um, and because of that, uh, like those, those types of content creators in that sphere, uh, are known for long form videos. You'll like get like H bomber guy who also does like four or five hour videos, ContraPoints, so they'll do like hour, two hour videos, uh, things like that. So like it's, it, it's more accepted in that space. Um, uh and so it's just sort of the audience that you cultivate but then there also is something to be said like that like i do think like uh videos would do better if i split them up over time or like split out like uh like did a like this video like was only 30 minutes or 20 minutes instead of five hours because right? that can be intimidating for some people i've had people tell me that um and and you know it, it's one of those again 
uh, where uh, someone like me, where the the freedom of YouTube is sometimes overwhelming because, you know, I, I have a deep respect for content creators that I know who like can do the same format over and over and over and over again and be like, this is the way that I make it. And and that's not a knock against that. That's actually like they're able to like use their their format to like then do varied things upon that. Whereas uh, I think it comes down to just like that. What I was talking about before, I'm someone who likes to try new things and 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 play with stuff and do different. Uh, like it just comes from my I different my growing up in like different backgrounds and different uh, experiences and loving to try new things and seeing things in a different point of view. Uh, so I just love experimenting with the form and and with different things. So I can make like a 20 minute just talk at camera video, a five hour Star Trek video, or talk about sex and try different costumes and do weird editing things, uh, or an hour long one where it's like talking about this and and uh and uh it's fun for me and i'm lucky enough to have built up an audience that is kind of down for that uh but uh but I, I will say that it is also not the smart move to try and market yourself i guess is the best way to put it that way um yeah it's it's it, it it's fun for me and i'm glad it works for me uh, and it can work for people. I will not say that I will not necessarily give advice to like, go for it <laughs> as that, as that, as a, as a starting out as a creator. And yeah, I don't want to get too many of your secrets either. We're going to save that for one day for your video when you, <laughs> when you release all, all the true, uh, deep, deep secrets, of how videos get made on your side of things. But uh, let's talk some Trek finally, cause we really haven't done that enough yet in this interview. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, your videos, again, a lot of them are about sex and gender and things like that within the world of Star Trek. And, you know, watching, again, we just talked about actually your TNG video and sex and Star Trek and TNG. So let's talk about uh, your your stance on Riker, which I found really cool because <laughs> what you said about that was that basically he is like the most sex positive character in the series. And that's a really refreshing take on that, very interesting take. So uh, for folks who haven't seen that video yet, let's, you know, can you, can you go into a little bit about, about uh, can you kind of go into a little bit about uh, why Riker is the most sex positive character in TNG? I love right. I mean, there are some takes where people like see Riker as a horn dog, uh, and, and I get where that comes from because it kind of comes out of like Captain Kirk. Like he is like a Captain Kirk stand-in, but like where Kirk, uh, kind of was of the time of his era, especially. And I talk about this in my video on 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 the original series. It kind of comes out of Gene Roddenberry being this dude who like kind of you know we make fun of self-offer insert, but he always kind of like wanted to be like the Kirk. Uh, and, and be like, I'm going to get all the girls and, and, and like get, get, be the ladies man. And it kind of fit that time of the sixties where it was that sort of like horn dog, like the romance of the week and get the lady and like get the damsel in the distress sort of thing, the Horatio horn blow over it all. But then when you transplant that to next generation, you get Riker who again was supposed to be the Kirk of the show. Whereas Picard's like, I want to be the, 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 the diplomat on the ship. I'm never going to leave. And he, and Riker go down to the planet and, and, and do other Kirk things. But. Because it was the 80s, there was this, especially after Gene Roddenberry started stepping away from the show, too. You started to see this evolution in season two and three, because season one, Riker still has those kind of problems where he's like possessive of Troy and, and things like that. And I talk about that in the video. Uh, but then when you get beyond that, he's just a they 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 kind of took this like horn dogginess to just him being like excited that sex is happening around him. Uh, and to the point where like one of my favorite, and I think it also comes down to Jonathan Frakes too, just being a great actor. Uh, they have so many, and I, I joke about this in the video, but there's just so many shots where like anytime a character references sex in any way, there will always be a cutaway shot to Jonathan Frakes just giving a smirk. <laughs> and, and because of that, like, it's funny. But it, because of that, it, it creates this app and he does it for, it's not just guys. It's like anytime, any sex anywhere. Uh, and as a result, it just like creates this air of like, He's just a dude who's happy that like sex is an accepted thing around him. 
and it, I know it was meant to be like some of a joke, but it does create this like positivity around it. And then on top of that, as the show went on, Kirk, or sorry, a Riker constantly uh, like would hit on women and like be that Kirk character. But unlike Kirk, he would like allow for the woman's agency too and allow the women to be playful back. And while Star Trek, uh, Next Generation is a show that didn't always allow women to have a centralized place in the story as um as other characters were like with characters like Troy and Crusher still being like in support roles and off to the side in the scenes where Riker is hitting on women like um I, I forget the episode name but the one with the crystalline entity where he's like hitting on this girl on the planet in the side there's a back and forth it's both of them it's both of them hitting on each other um he very and, much and, liked her dessert yeah, exactly yeah exactly that's the exact scene I'm talking about and, and so there's like a sense of equality in the playfulness as opposed to Kirk being like, Hey, look at this hot lady where the girl didn't really get a lot of that to come back. She didn't have a lot of agency. And, and then also there's just like a lot of jokes that Riker gets to make where like, he like Worf is like, Oh, this, this dress uniform looks like a dress. And Riker just sort of like, it's meant to be a joke. Um, but it's like, he, he just sort of says, Oh, Worf, that's very limited of you, you know? Um, and, and, and like, you know, you should be able to expand beyond uh, those sort of gender norms. Uh, and it's meant to be funny, but it also like points to this character being like, he's someone open about those sort of things and like, kind of like pushing back against these sort of stereotypical gender roles. So is he, is he a, a horn dog? Yes. Is he a, uh, is he a product of a time in some ways, uh, from the eighties? Yes. But I think in part on purpose, based on like Jonathan Frakes's performance and the writing of the show, he, but also some in some ways on accident, he comes across as this really sex positive dude who's just happy that sex happens. <laughs> yeah, I interviewed Jonathan Frakes a while ago in this podcast, and I asked him about the episode The Outcast, mm -hmm. uh, which is a pretty important one in terms of Star Trek and sexuality. And, uh, you know, I also on top of that asked what he thought about Riker's sexuality. And uh, surprisingly, Frakes actually, you know, he kind of stands by that Riker, the character was always meant to be straight and particularly because mm -hmm. in the end, he does end up with Troy. So I kind of wonder, you know, how much of it is just maybe just, you know, older thoughts on this kind of topic. And, you know, if, you know, cause if this was nowadays, maybe Riker would be pansexual. But, uh, you know, on that note, I mean, what do you think Riker actually is? You know, based on what we know today and about what sexuality is, where does Riker actually fit into the spectrum? I, 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 so my read on him is that he is a character who is mostly straight. Like, again, sex positive doesn't mean like he can't be straight. Um, cause you can be sex positive and just be like, I only like chicks. That's, and that's totally valid and fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But my read on the character, I think specifically because of the, of uh, the episode, the outcast, the, it's interesting cause like the way it's written, the, he ultimately does end up in a straight passing relationship. Like the, the, uh, the girl that he ends up with, um, 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 Soren, um, who's the Janai character is ultimately identifies as a woman and it's also played by a female actress even though Riker and uh, Jonathan Frakes himself he he sort of wanted it to be a guy to sort of like help elucidate the, th the episode's themes of like dealing with sexuality and gender like homosexuality uh, we can talk about that that's a whole other topic um that we could discuss in that episode but uh but so he is in a straight passing relationship however he starts to show sexual interest in and in, interest in her before he knows that where he thinks that she is non-binary so, uh, but she is more femme presenting. I mean, as the entire, you know, as the entire alien species of the Janai, even though they are quote unquote non-binary, they are all played by women. Um, so there's sort of like this like femme coding to them. So I, I think the intention of the writers is to have like, be, they're non-binary. They don't have a gender, which to them was like a, a weird alien thing. Cause they didn't really think like human beings could be non-binary, which is again, its own discussion. But if I was sort of thinking about it in universe, I would say that Riker is, straight 
but is attracted to anyone female or femme presenting. And they don't necessarily need to be uh, identify 100% as a woman, um, but he just is attracted to femininity. And so like, and that's just like gradation that you can sort of put on that sort of idea of sexuality and gender. Like there are people who, and this is, and I, by the way, the, this has been vilified, but this is perfectly legitimate. There's like people who are attracted to certain body parts, certain uh, genitalia on people, but are also like, you know, there are people that are like, you know, if I may get crass for a minute, if that's okay. Um, like, you know, there are people that are like, look, I, I am attracted to anyone female and I'm attracted to trans women, whether they have a penis or not. And that's fine because the context of them is like a woman and I'm attracted to just feminine presenting things regardless of genitals. There are also people that are like, I am attracted to people with penises, uh, whether they're femme or female presenting. And that's also valid. Uh, and so what I would just say is like, Riker is someone who is attracted to people based on femininity or femme presenting appearance not necessarily on like genitals or self-identification. Um, and, and and that's a very personal choice. And then you could extrapolate that into the sort of negotiation of what is romance. And it's like, would he, he would need to be respectful of someone's identity. So he could be attracted to this person, but if they're like, this person's like, I don't like you being attracted to my femininity, then that would be a problem for their relationship. But as a person internalized himself, I think he's attracted to femininity, not necessarily women, which still could be coded as straight. And, you know, the reason I wanted to get your take on this, especially a very well-informed take, uh, is, you know, it kind of leads into my next question where I'm going here, which is kind of the subject of headcanon. Mm. Because, you know, you, we hear folks a lot of times right now on the internet, big things like, you know, that Kirk and Spock are actually gay, or that this character is coded as a trans character, even if in the show they're they're not trans. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things like that, a lot of different subjects in Star Trek that are presented in that way by a lot of the fans. And there's always pushback from one side or the other, usually stating that, well, what's on screen is canon, and that is testament. That is the gospel of Star Trek, therefore mm -hmm. it is only the truth. Uh, so, you know, that's that's the big C word, canon. So, you know, headcanon is one of those things that can be one of the better parts of fandom. It can be one of the worst parts of fandom. Depends where you're looking, how you're sitting, and where you end up in the whole thing. So, uh, you know, I'd like to hear you talk about headcanon and... Uh, in this instance, using it as a way to establish your identity and also to empower oneself by by using these characters to help identify. Yeah. I mean, people forget, like, Star Trek is not... Star Trek is a work of art. It's a work of fiction. And as much as I love it, and I love, like, seeing, learning more about stuff and learning about the world, like, it is a fictional place that is not... Net, like, it, there's no history book of like the future of like this needs to be this way so like i mean to be fair jesse it's only history fiction it's only it's only fiction until we actually get you know our warp technology yes. and the vulcans come say hi to us so we're, <laughs> yes. we're, for the time being i'll let you slide on that one <laughs> exactly uh but yeah but like it's a work of fiction and as such it's it's interpretable it's meant to be something that like people interpret and look at and, and have different facets of and there's different ways to interpret art right you can you can talk about authorial intent and be like this is what the author was trying to say with this work and we could all talk about whether they are not they were effective in communicating that but that was the intent of the work and it's important to look at it that way or you can look or you can look at like what the thing gives off regardless of intention, the sort of death of the author idea of like, like I was just talking about with Riker, like, I don't think it was the intention for them to not portray him as straight. But the fact is, like, you could interpret it that way if you just don't necessarily look at intention. And what a lot of people will do when they when they think about art criticism is like they'll argue for one of those or the other. Like, it has to be intent. It has to be like you have to like what's Gene Roddenberry intended his vision or they'll look at something like the death of the authors. Like I need to like, we, we don't want to look at what the author's intent was ever. And we only want to see what we can interpret from the, from the piece. 
And the the actual truth is like, no, like art should be looked at in all of those contexts at once. That's why you do art criticism. And while it's you look at it from being like, what do we glean from it looking at it this way? What do we glean from it looking at it this way? Uh, and, and so uh, and, and that's that's what I do as a critic uh, uh, and someone doing media analysis. Like that's my you know job as a YouTuber analyzing this stuff to try and look at it from all those perspectives. Um, and I can pick one and say, this is what I want to look at it for this. But like, that's that's what criticism is. However, if your job is not to do this, uh, like you are allowed to take a piece of art and interpret it any way that you wish. If you are someone who loves to look at Star Trek and be like, all right, this is what's on screen is the end all be all. And what I see is what I get. And there's no more beyond that. And that is canon. And everything likes to link up and everything like I love how Jesus Nine links to this. And I don't really consider Star Trek Discovery to be canon because it like they they do X, Y and Z like they have a holodeck and that doesn't fit with if, if, if that, like if you need to like say that Discovery takes place in a different universe or you don't accept it, that's OK. There's nothing wrong with that. That's your interpretation of the work of art. And that is 100% fine. Uh, but if you do have someone like 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 me or other people who like headcanon, like, yeah, Kirk and Spock are gay and they get something out of that. They get to see like, I, I can interpret Kirk and Spock being gay from these moments that are in, definitely in the show. And it's not made explicit that they're gay, but I can read that in there and I, I get something out of that. That's okay too, because that's what art is allowed to do. And, and people forget that like, ca characters not real people. <laughs> And as a result, they 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 don't have like internal lives that you're trying to like push push down, right? Like if I when we're talking about trans issues, right? When someone says to me like you're like I'm a trans woman, and they say you're a man, they are trying to deny my own internal perception of myself, my own internal reality of myself, and as a result, they're trying to control my body and my, and my thought process, and that is oppressive, and that is inherently a problem. But when you look at characters like Kirk and Spock, they are not real people; they are meant. To be interpreted by the person viewing them they are they are only what they externalize to us they are they they have no internal lives the only way we know what's going on internally is if they express it visually or they say it because they're not real people and as a result you it's okay for you to interpret them in these ways if that benefits you because that's what art is there for um and and the only problem is like you know, when we look at like fandom wars uh, and like things like that, it's like people arguing that you need to see it this way or the other. People being like, oh, you like Star Trek Discovery? You're wrong and dumb and stupid because you don't understand Star Trek because you don't see it the way that I see it. And it's like, it's okay to not like Discovery. It's okay to say it's not your canon. It's okay to say you think it's in another universe. It's, it's okay to have whatever interpretation you want of it. The problem is when you tell other people to have that interpretation. Um, and it goes the other way, too. Uh, but it's it's not a problem to interpret art the way you want to it's a problem when you tell other people how to interpret art the way that they want to um and and so that's my end up thought on headcanon because like it can be beneficial like was jet intended to be an explicit trans metaphor no like i i really don't think like the the writers uh were there being like this is going to be representing trans people but they did they wrote a character that could be read that way and thank heaven star trek discovery i think made that explicit for the trans community and said like this this they made a trans character a trill and said like yes these characters do relate to the trans community and made that explicit but like that wasn't the intention but it's there and i read it and it meant something to me and it didn't need to be the same thing for other people you know that's kind of the fun thing about art too is that it's always evolving and you know a trill can be one thing in the 90s and now in the 2020s it can be something else and that's more mm -hmm. in tune with what our times actually are so that's just, that's just the fun of future in Star Trek and just, yeah, how art works. It's cool mm -hmm. stuff, man. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but since you did mention Spock, by the way, I also want to plug, uh, you did do a great video all about Spock and his sexuality, um, mm -hmm. which 
you know, it's now suddenly a subject of much discussion, thanks to <laughs> yes. Strange New Worlds, because for the first time in like over 50 years, we're seeing Spock do a little bit more than just Pond Far in one episode. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, just shameless plug for that episode. Um, That's great. Sure. So now I got a big question for you here, uh, and I want to talk about the word representation, as well as the phrase that has been bastardized so very much by a certain political group, and that is the word woke. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was chatting with a friend who really likes Star Trek. They're a hardcore Trekkie. And I asked them what they thought about the latest season of Discovery. And uh, ultimately, their, their response, really the first thing they said was that they loved the representation. And that's just kind of like where the review kind of ended for them. And mm-hmm. so my big thing was like, you know, is there, is there more to it? And I've seen a lot of folks use like the representation as a big pillar of how they review a show and how they look at a show these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that in turn can then lead to a lot of resistance from the anti-woke people who claim that a show is just checking off all those boxes. It's a, it's a term they love to say nowadays, uh, checking mm-hmm. off all the boxes uh, so that they can be more woke. So, you know, the big question here is how does entertainment, and we're going to use Star Trek as an example, balance representation, making that an important part of the show, but also making a show that's compelling, not necessarily patronizing, and also still be genuine to a very broad audience? Because that is... I think one of the toughest things to do in entertainment these days is to hit all of those notches on a belt. Yeah, I the answer is no show is ever going to be able to do it all. It's always going to fail in some aspect of it. And I think there are things that modern Star Trek does really, really well. And I think there are things that uh, modern Star Trek fails at when it comes to representation and then also marrying that with like authentic stories and things like that. Yeah. Um, and 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 then we can get into the woke stuff, too, in a second as well. But oh, just speaking, go. yeah, just speaking on speaking on representation, what I think, especially Discovery of all of it, but I think all Star Trek today does this really well is they allow people of the backgrounds that they are talking about to be present in the story. Um, and what I mean by that is like, I look at something like the next generation, right? And we talked earlier about the episode, the outcast, which was an episode about, uh, was supposed to be an episode about um, sexuality and homosexuality specifically and homosexual issues. Um, and, and it also by accident through alien metaphor and, 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 and interpretation became also about trans issues. Um, but that wasn't necessarily the intention of the writers. It was about homosexuality. But the thing is the show, the show was being made for an audience that was like not gay. Like the, the thought process behind the episode was like people writing that episode were like trying to like, let's teach not gay people about what it's like to be gay. And as a result, it comes across as like a very otherizing, like gay people are literally represented by aliens in that. So we, we are seen as metaphors, not people. And that can be, and I'm not knocking that type of storytelling. You know, there are issues with that. There's like a barrier gay storyline in that episode and things that are a problem. But like the idea of wanting to try and teach and educate people is a good one. I mean, that was what Gene Roddenberry's whole idea was, right? Like taking these I concepts outside of our our, our biases today, taking them outside of political context and putting them in space. And then you could make it a, make an episode about racism. That's it's really a metaphor and people will be able to hear it because they're not putting their own biases of like it's liberals versus Democrats. It's like the liberals or the conservatives, like they can, they can have that conversation without being thinking about it in those terms and allowing to move beyond that. The problem with that though is that it otherizes people and it doesn't allow us like trans people to see ourselves in that future. So when I look at something like Discovery or all of like modern Star Trek today, what they do so well is they allow us to take part in those stories and be authentic within them. What I love Discovery for, for example, is the queer characters on that show um, getting to be expressly queer, played by queer actors. So you're actually allowing queer people to tell the story of queer people. And the showrunner of the show um, of Discovery is also a lesbian. So like queer people telling queer stories and, and you see that reflected in the way the episodes are written. And the way they're performed, the 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 found family aspect of that show is just so authentic and real. And you, and you get the sense of that. And, and those 
concepts that we that queer people wrestle with every day are, are permeate their storylines, but not in a way that like define them. Like questions of identity, like Gray getting his body back, it, like brings up questions of like trans bodies and what does it mean to build your own body and make your own body. Those sort of like transhumanistic ideas uh, that ma- that sort of parallel transness and tra- being transgender. Um, but it, but it's it's t- but it's allowing it's allowing trans people to be a part of that story to have it be our worst story while also allowing alien metaphor to be part of it as well to allowing it to be like this is this element of it and and so i love like the connection of the trill to to transness in discovery where it's like oh this thing that a lot of trans people read themselves into well now we'll have a trans character play that and say like yes this element of star trek that was this is claimed by the trans community and not that other people can't be part of it but like the trans community really sees themselves in it so it's made that explicit and so it's it's connecting these things and allowing us to be part of our own stories Uh, some failures of of that uh you know discovery has failed and other trek shows have failed in certain aspects they've done barrier gay storylines with culber uh getting killed and hugh getting killed even though hugh was not a gay he was played by a gay actor and the actor played the character gay uh so he gets killed in picard and and that's a barrier gays moment playing to the tropes of like gay people always dying tragically in media um you know there there are pitfalls that they fall into and then i look at something like uh to make this comparison because it's really helpful is the orville and uh, this season of the Orville, they did a a, a transgender esque storyline uh, that I thought was really well written. It was very well done. Uh, I think they really used it. But that storyline was told in alien metaphor, and there are no trans people in that show, like explicit human trans characters in that show. And as a result, it, it it's sort of that sort of problem of like capitalizing on trans stories without actually allowing trans people to be part of our stories and then also because it's told in metaphor while it is trying to teach people people can misinterpret it there are many people that like took the orville and this will get us into the woke storyline part of it there are many people that took that story on the orville and were like yeah where it's like oh this is actually anti-transgender because of the way the metaphor had been built up over previous seasons which were mostly written by straight white dudes who didn't know trans people or didn't really talk to trans people to break those stories, uh, it allows that metaphor to be interpreted in a way that is that is actually read as anti-transgender. And that's the problem when you don't actually get to include trans people in the stories. And so while I think that that story was well done and very effectively told, the fact that it's only a metaphor and not allowing trans people to explicitly say, this is what this is about, it, it creates the problem. But that's media, right? That's that's what media does. Is it, 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 it No one show is ever going to be able to do everything because no one person can ever do everything. And, and, and I think the conversation, this is what art should do. It should create the conversation. I'm not saying Orville or Discovery is better necessarily. I say more the conversation created by both shows is what the point is. That's the, the conversation we have about these shows is the point of them. Now we get into the anti-woke crowd. <laughs> Uh, and it's it, it it comes back to that same idea of viewpoint. We have built a society today where how best to how best to say this? Most media up until very recently was written from the viewpoint of, and I'm not saying this to because I know some listeners might get upset from me just saying this, but like I, I'm not saying this to vilify this, but like it was mostly written by straight white non-transgender, i.e., cisgender dudes. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's controversial to say. Like there were some that were not like some women and some people of color and other things like making these things, but like that was the predominant perspective. And as a result, when you look at something like Next Generation or the original series. You see that sort of the Gene Roddenberry type of view where it's like everything else is otherized and different and strange and we're going to educate about them. But it's ultimately all catering to that viewpoint of the straight cis dude. And 
And he passed it down to other straight cis dudes like Rick Berman, Brandon Braga. Again, I love Rick Berman aside, like Brandon Braga. And like, I love some of those creators. Like I'm not like Ron Moore. I love Ron Moore. But they all came at it from that perspective. And as a result, it, it sort of naturalized and normalized that perspective as like that, that it's like, that's the way it should be just because it is because it seemed like so ubiquitous. It made it seem invisible because of that's how it was. So now we're starting to get to media today where we're getting to see things being done more inclusively and getting to see people being more included in the, being able to tell the story, which I think is great. And because of that, there's this pushback by people being like, oh, you're trying to replace us. You're trying to push us out of media. You're trying to get us out of here. Uh, and, 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 and as a result, you're just like, you, you hate straight white dudes. Like, no, we don't hate you. I love my Pike, Captain Pikes. You know, they're lovely. I adore them. But you don't get to be the only one that gets to be part of this story in, in future now. But also because of that, they, they do hit upon a kernel of truth in the sense that there are these things are made by big mega corporations who do want to uh, make uh, things as uh, uh, sellable as possible. And as a result, they do do the box ticking thing because they realize like now it's like it's it's not necessarily going to be supply when you don't include like a person of color. You don't include a black character. You don't include gay people. Yeah, but they'll yeah the corporate rainbow, if you will. Exactly. And they and it's true. They will sometimes just go be like, well, we need to put a black character in here, put them in there. And they won't actually do it authentically. They'll just stick them in there to stick them in there. And that is that is real. And that's how you fail at representation by not doing it authentically, going back to what we were talking about, like not including people in the story and being able to create these characters, as well as also coupled with the fact that because these stories have been uh, people are now getting to be able to tell our stories, we're still figuring out how to best tell those stories, right? They're still play. So it's a mix of the two things. But then these anti-woke people will take that uh, argument and say, well, this story is bad because the corporate is box ticking because this story isn't as well told as this story. And therefore, we shouldn't do it. And no, my argument is like, no, it's not that we shouldn't do it. It's we should do it more and better. <laughs> and, and, and it's not the argument against doing it. It's an argument for doing it better and more and exploring more. And ultimately, I also make one last argument here. I know this is a long answer, but I think it's just important. Uh, and thank you for letting me rant. Um, last point on this on this argument that is that I'll say is like, and it also, if you want to make, just make the selfish argument to these people, it's like, you have seen the straight white cisgender dude captain done over and over and over again. And again, I love the stories. I love Pike. He's great. Strange New Worlds is wonderful and awesome. I adore it. Um, but like, don't you want to see something different? Don't you want to see what it's like to what it means to see a, a, a black woman as the captain or a trans person as a captain? Or like, don't you want to see what that story is like? What that means? Like, that's a cool new story. So selfishly, even beyond the representation of what it means to me as a trans person for yourself, like, Shouldn't it be cool to see that? It'd be a new story that you haven't experienced before. I think those new experiences are what scares so many people away. I mean, I, I was talking to someone not that long ago. I think I'm pretty sure it was on this show, in fact, where I mentioned how the last season of Discovery, it was very much, uh, you know, with all due respect, like the blackest Star Trek show ever, because mm -hmm. the issues that were talked about were very much straight up people of color issues. I mean, with the fact that the season finale dealt with reparations, that's a huge thing. That's a, a big mm -hmm. thing to see on TV and a Star Trek show. And that certainly scares a lot of folks who watch Fox News on the regular. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this kind of leads into also the discussion about, you know, if we're talking about a Star Trek show uh, and, and authentic people doing the authentic things, you'll always hear uh, from the right side, especially, you know, the best person should get that role, that kind of thing. But what if the best person hasn't actually been found for that role? Mm. This is kind of like my, my soapbox moment also now is, you know, yeah, please. Uh, you know, in a lot of instances, you're going to see, you know, this like you were just mentioning on the Orville, you know, this whole trans metaphor, but there's no actual trans person there. So it's like, well, yeah, that performer may have done a wonderful job, but they don't have the real life experience to put into that character.
Mm-hmm. And without that real life experience, it's not the authentic experience. It's just someone playing pretend. Yeah. And also even with that argument too, it's like, you got to listen to like what a lot of people are actually saying when they say that too. It's like, it's like, well, you should just make it for the best performer for the role. And it's like, Usually when people say that, they're saying, well, you should have hired a straight white dude for the role. Like that's, that's like kind of, yeah, it's the subtext. And, and I I don't want to like necessarily always like, there's some people that don't realize that that's what they're saying, but that's ultimately what they're arguing for. And like, people also forget when it's like, what do you mean when you say the best person for the role? Because sometimes the best person for the role is the person who can best embody the experience because they can bring that into it. Like, okay, maybe, maybe, you know, uh, you know, Oscar winning actor, you know, Anthony Hopkins could come in and do a killer role on this bit. But like another person with a different perspective adds something different to it as well. Like, you know, it's this idea that like there's, there is, you, you know what it is? It is this concept that there is a an intrinsically objective best version of the role and that like exists in this ethereal space that like it, it, it we can reach and it's all about finding the tricks to, it's like all about posing the puzzle piece to get there but it's like no there's no like objectively best way to play this role that, that like you're just trying to like find the person that fits into that what you're trying to do is is is, is 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 what art is, is it's figuring it out as you go and figuring out what is saying. And, and the effort of the creation of it is is the the thing that you're getting across, you know, and and, and trying to think of like, what's the message that I want to say and how best do I, I, I communicate it effectively and just trying to figure it out. Um, but there's no like one way to play something. There's many ways to play something. And it's all about like an artist trying to figure that out as they go. Well, and on that note, I'd like you to maybe uh, check my bias a little bit. In fact, I want to talk about what I think was probably one of the more controversial moments uh, from Strange New Worlds this past season, Mm -hmm. which was when we had uh, Jesse James Keitel on the show. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I was watching that and I was like interested to see what the character was going to do, what they were going to be doing ultimately with this character. And, uh, you know, for my part, I was intrigued at first. I was like really liking how things were going. And -hmm. then we had the big reveal of that this character is the bad guy. Yeah, and from that moment on, it just became this like cartoon character, you know, almost the mustache twirling cartoon character, where it's yeah, like yeah. so villainous and so over the top. And I personally didn't like it, uh, yeah. and a lot of folks also didn't like it out there. But uh, a lot of them were also pointing to it like being perhaps this is a, a bias against a trans person, or that, or that you know, you can't criticize this person because they're trans. That's you know, what you hear. Um, so I guess I'm trying to figure out how this all works out because I also wonder how much of it is more so just the fact that mainstream society is not used to seeing a trans person do this kind of role. And they're going to perform in a different way that is more akin to who they are. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess help me kind of understand this. You're like, is this just me showing my bias uh, or is this like a, an, a, an authentic criticism? I think it's both. Like, right. It, it, again, people want to box things in as one thing, but it's the answer is it's both. Right. Like, I, 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 I kind of pointed this out with like for her, for that performance, I loved it. Like, I loved her. Yeah, and that's why uh, I wanted to bring it up with you, because I know you were a big fan of that. I adored I adored her performance. I love mustache twirling over-the-top campy villains. Like, it is yeah. it is just so much fun. Exactly. And there's there's actually been studies to, like, talk about, like, why camp resonates with queer folks overall. Because, like, and it comes to, like, uh, ideas of, like, queer people, because we are so attuned to, like, how we have to perform ourselves in the real world, right? Like we, we, we are so used to like either having to hide it. And so we like know how to perform ourselves. Like the idea of performance in the world is, is an idea that we're very, very keenly aware of. Right. And so when that comes into, uh, uh, theater, which is what, you know, TV shows is like performance, 
that we we all we always kind of like to revel in the like the performance of it all and the over the topness of it all uh and, and so like a character like just james Kittel uh performing that like just reveling in like i'm gonna go full-on like villain with this and just like laugh over the top hysterical that's that's the, the choice that she made that is ultimately like cool and fun for me that i resonate with because that's just the choices you made so there's that element of it like queer people are are not all queer people but a lot of queer people are probably going to resonate and resonate with that more just because of like the, our history and like what we were drawn to necessarily as, as a as a community uh but it also does come down to uh, uh you know preference as well like some people are going to like over the top stuff and some people aren't and that's okay uh and and that's totally legitimately fine there are some people who are again going to the anti-woke crowd that are like they'll use the argument of like i didn't like this therefore it's the trans person's fault and it must be because they're trans thereby trans people shouldn't be in things like like they'll make those like sort of leaps of logic but it's like it's okay to not like something but if you're not liking something and saying it's because like uh, like it's a trans person's fault or like to argue that trans people shouldn't be in things then that's wrong because there would be a trans actor who may may have been a more like um uh naturalistic i guess would be the best choice the word to use like a more down-to-earth performance but then there's also like this thing in society where like we tend to view uh realism as better like we equate the more realistic something is the more adult and better and deep it is like look at something like um you know dark knight um and again i love the dark knight and things like that but i was like yeah this is good because it's dark and gritty but it's like you know surrealism over the top performance that's also just as good it's preference and so we 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 equate we equate something as good and when it should be like this is preference again it's art it's medium so again the end of the day is like i think there's a bias but the bias is not bad you're allowed to have your biases and your preferences and if you come out of that being like i didn't like her performance i, I it didn't work for me it's not something i enjoyed that's fine that's cool like that's i think that that's cool conversation to have uh but if you're gonna then use that to be like but trans people shouldn't be in things that's where the problem is um so yeah i mean i think you raise a good point too with the idea of the realism being better because you know i i think then yeah we just talked about just james Kaitel, but i think we can actually compare rain wilson as, mm-hmm. as harry mudd because that's also pretty over the top too i mean granted mm-hmm. when we first met harry mudd there was a little bit more I, I guess realism within it because of how you know we find mudd he's basically in a prison um but then the second time we see him it's a lot more cartoony i guess in some mm-hmm. ways uh maybe not quite as campy i think that's a good word to use uh, as, as jesse james did but um yeah you know i, I kind of got just as we're doing this right now just kind of thinking about rain wilson now no one had a problem really with mudd but everybody had a problem with jesse james can tell yeah and also too star trek is uh, this is something too like it's weird because uh, in a lot of ways, Strange New Worlds returns to a lot of what Star Trek should be. And not just like in the like episodic format, but something that people forget is like, it's much more theatrical of a show. It is. And yeah. Star Trek was always like, in a lot of ways, you could look at like pretty much all of Star Trek up until Enterprise as something that like, really, it was it could be done in a theater. Like it was blocked very theater-like, it was shot very theater-like. And not to say that the camera and, and the addition of film didn't add to it, like special effects and things like that. But like, it, it, it was very much like an actor show. Whereas going to Discovery, there's still good acting in it, but it became much more of a visual language show. And again, that's preference and, and choice, and, and you can say one thing or the other that's better. Going to Strange Worlds, like that's a show overall, like all of it is much more of it's a much more uh, Strange Worlds is much more of an actor show than say like uh, uh, Discovery is. Um, and Discovery still has acting stuff in it, but I think Strange Worlds is really more for that. You know, you look at somebody like Jesse James Patel, I think she's like more in line with characters like Q. Or uh, 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 you can even bring up Harry Mudd in the original series or, uh, you know, just uh, the the long line of theatrical. Gold Ducat even is a somewhat theatrical villain, you know. And so, like, 
she kind of fits more in line with that than the more hardcore like uh, villains of uh, like um, Discovery's uh, and Lorca, who's a much darker, grittier villain, you know? Um, so, it, you know, it, it's, it's again, preference and choice. And, and I would argue that Jesse James Cattell is in the grand tradition of older Trek. Yeah, it's a great point, too, bringing up Gold Ducat, especially if you want to talk about mustache trolling. I mean, Gold mm-hmm. Ducat, if he has like 10 mustaches on his face. He's always trolling them. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. good point. So, Jesse, let's get a little bit more uh, into some of your videos and especially how that relates to you and who you are. And, you know, really, the Jesse Gender channel, it is a very provocative channel with a lot of very provocative videos. And I don't mean <laughs> that in the way of, like, you know, sexy videos, but really they're thought-provoking in a way that a lot of people might not want to be challenged to think about when it comes to their views on gender and sexuality. So, you know, in turn, because of the kind of content you make, you've also become very much an ambassador and almost a spokesperson for what a trans person is and for trans people in general. And I, I imagine, mm-hmm. you know, even this interview that we're doing right now, you're very much speaking on behalf of the trans experience, which I don't know how many of my listeners are experiencing in their real life. I hope there's a good amount of them out there. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of folks who might not have ever heard these from someone like you before or just heard these types of views in general. So, you know, I, I know that also, you know, as informative and great that is for cultivating a certain audience, it also will alienate another section of Star Trek fans. That's a lot of mm-hmm. right-wing extremists or a lot of TERFs. Uh, and, you know, I know I've seen some of the comments you get in your channel and that you've had to deal with because you post a lot of them on social media. And there's a lot of garbage, uh, a lot yeah. of people who have just got a lot of real horrible things to say. So, you know, on one hand, you're doing this amazing service and really sharing your experiences. But on the other hand, I would imagine that sometimes it might just feel like a burden because you've got to deal with this daily emotional grind of these big positives and these horrible negatives. So, you know, how do you get through the day dealing with that kind of emotional up and down? It, I mean, it's something that it's, it's, it's difficult to wrestle with, to be, to be kind of frank. And one thing I will say is, like you said, like, I'm an ambassador for the trans community. And I do like to, I like to educate on behalf of the trans community, but also I want to make sure to say, like, I can only speak for myself. And though I can try to talk for others, I can only give my perspective as best I can and, and like try to uplift other voices as well. Uh, so it's one of those like difficult balancing exercises. I want to be an ambassador for trans issues and trans community, but I can also only ultimately be myself. Um, and, and I think that that's, I think that that's part of like how I tried to portray myself too, being like, I'm going to talk about trans issues, but I'm also going to show you I'm a big giant dork. Right. And that's who I am. And so personalizing a lot of these things too. So that's part of it. Um, in terms of, in terms of dealing with, uh, other, uh, like the, the harder elements of it. I mean, it is difficult. You know, I, I released a video um, earlier this or last week, I should say, that was directly talking about a really horrific uh, transphobic dude. And it was breaking down a, a really horrible documentary that he made. And I have another video coming up about it, too. But because I released that video this whole past few days, I've been getting like really toxic stuff from a lot of his fans who uh, come in and like dehumanize me and like say things like like you're a gross, nasty monster. Or you're a narcissist. Like I, it's pretty disgusting stuff to be kind of frank um and you know they're never gonna make I, again i'm at this point i talked about earlier like where I, they're never gonna make me feel bad for who i am anymore like i'm confident in my sense of self and my I, who i am as a trans person as a woman as as all, all these things that they're never gonna make me deny that but it is hard to constantly wade through that and see that and, and not have it have an emotional toll on you and the thing that i've also ultimately come to the thing that hurts me the most, you know, I, I look at someone who's like a trans person who is is younger, like that in the Esri stage or even before that, like closeted. And I can see for them how they see that stuff. And it's very scary and makes them not want to come out or even, you know, suicidal or or, or, or depressed. And that's why we see a lot of depression and suicidal um, ideation and, and stuff in, in the trans community and LGBT community because of all the stuff that exists just on the very idea of a trans person existing in a space. 
Um, and that sucks. And that's always what I want to push against. And it's why I always try to just, like showcase, like you can be a confident person in, in yourself because I want people to know that that is possible to do. And these, that all that stuff is just bullshit trying to push you into a box that you're, you're, you're ultimately never going to fit in as none of us are. Um, it just happens to be for trans people and trans people haven't be vilified right now, um, by a lot of right-wing media and conservatives and things like that. Um, but the thing that saddens me personally, other than like feeling anger at how those people make others like younger trans people or people coming out feel the thing I feel is a sadness at those people's lack of curiosity and empathy and an ability to see the world as, as more beautiful than it can be. You know, I just literally like earlier today, I'm, I'm working on a, a video that's a more about this, like, like transphobia idea and like people being like, you know, we need to define woman as, as an adult human female and th this sort of thing. But it's like, but what does adult mean? Adult is also so like, when it is at 18, but in other cultures, it was, you had to go through a ceremony to be an adult. What's adult? What's, what's human? You know, uh, Plato says it was a featherless biped, but like, what if we met an alien that like, is that still also like, what does it mean to be a sentient being? It's just something that data brings up, you know, um, in, in next generation, uh, female, like, is it XX chromosomes? Well, there are people born with vaginas that uh, don't have XX chromosomes, regardless if you're talking about transplants. Like th the reason I bring that up is not to fight necessarily those battles of, like, right here on this channel. The thing I asked you is just like, we are, we, we are humans trying to define a world that is ultimately beyond our understanding and beyond our ability to ever fully, truly comprehend or, or pin down with our language. Any attempt by language to define something is ultimately going to limit something. And I understand like communication is needed to be able to talk to people, right? But like, it, it, it's about accepting the world is bigger than we can ever know. And I look at people who just look at like a trans person or an LGBTQ person or, 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 or people different themselves, going back to our anti-woke stuff, and see it with like anger, vitriol, or or a lack of curiosity, a lack of empathy, a lack of wanting to see that. And it makes me sad because we should take such joy and delight in finding others. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I did not intend this, but I'm just sort of realizing what I'm echoing is, is a phrase Gene Roddenberry himself used, which was, you know, Star Trek is about this belief that we should take delight in the differences of others and the differences of life forms. Um, and, and that's what it means to, 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 to look at upon people with empathy, to believe in infinite diversity of combinations is, is to take delight in others, to take delight in like, you're different than me. And that's cool. That's so cool. Um, and I want to know more. I want to learn more. That's that, that element. And so when I deal with those comments, what hurts me most is I just see a person who does not fundamentally uh, feel that curiosity and, and desire to learn and taking delight in others and, and needing to put someone in a box uh, because it makes them feel more comfortable in their own sense of the world. It makes the world seem simpler. It makes the world seem more uh, 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 less anxiety inducing. They don't have to look out into the vastness of the world around them and be like, oh God, this is scary and anxiety inducing. Because I look out in that and I see like, there's so much I don't know. And they'll feel fear and anxiety. But for me, I say, that's so cool. And it's why I love Star Trek, really. I mean, I'm talking about this, but like, it's why Star Trek constantly inspires me because it is a show that's like, we're going to explore, we're going to see new things, and that's inspiring. And I see people who who don't do that as as it makes me sad, and that's ultimately what hurts me beyond also the anger that I feel as well. So yeah, I think that's that's the best way to put it. But it does it does take an emotional toll. 
you know, for me, I, I think one of the reasons I think your channel has become so successful and popular is that, you know, besides just talking about Star Trek in the way that you do, you know, you are very open to discussing your personal life and who you are, and also throwing back the curtain on a lot of things about the trans community that would honestly mysticize the average person who doesn't understand or know about this experience. I mean, mm -hmm. I've had conversations with some friends of mine even who don't really understand what a trans person is. And we, you know, even the issue of trans people in sports, for example, I mean, that's such a hot topic. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many questions they have about it. And there's so many things they hear from places that might not be accurate. I'm no expert, but at the very least, I know I've helped open up some minds, but you're really living the life. I mean, you are this person. Uh, so, you know, you have to be open because that's what you're covering. This is your life experiences. So, mm -hmm. you know, kind of to follow up on what we just spoke about with this emotional grind, where do you set the boundaries between you and your audience? Where does Jesse Gender end on YouTube? Where does Jesse Earl begin and live and live this life? It's a constant question, right? Um, it's something I don't even know if I have an answer to it because it, it is like the YouTuber life where the, you create this parasocial relationship. Um, and, and it goes both ways too. Like people invest in me as a creator wanting to create things um and and we ultimately always kind of do that with our like people investing in like gene roddenberry i'm not saying i'm like on the level of gene roddenberry necessarily obviously but like we always invest in creators like that and you're you know if you're a creator with any uh salt with or salt you're always putting yourself into your art one way or another you know it's it it, it is difficult because you're trying to create that boundary um well while, while also like creating that character version of yourself that we talked about earlier I don't know. I, I guess I, I really don't have an answer because it, it kind of like flows both ways. I, I try to set boundaries for myself to like make sure I take breaks and and, and set like this is going to be time for me. But then also when I make videos like while I am creating a character version of myself, when I see like transphobic people saying stuff about me, they'll they'll be commenting about me personally as a human being, even though they see me as more like a, a, a this digital creation on the screen. But then also too, it it, it comes back even in positive senses. Like I did a video recently where I talked about my recent surgery and how it meant a lot to me. And I, I did a whole video that was very personal, very personal to me. Um, and, and, and I revealed a lot about like what I was feeling and, and wrestling with at the time. And I had people comment positively too, being like, this really meant a lot to me. This is really, and like send me very sweet and kind messages. And it means a lot. It really does. But it's also hard to like incorporate that into yourself right you don't want to ever like grandize yourself i'm just dork making things and i'm glad that like what i make connects with you because i'm a human and i want like that's why i make stuff to connect and educate and teach um but it's a it, it, it's a difficult path to walk and with youtube it's even harder because you are putting yourself as a person out there my face is in there as opposed to like you know a creator behind a tv show which like they're still putting themselves into the work but they have a little bit of a distance from it. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't really have an answer. Um, it, it's still a line that I am trying to navigate. That's fair enough. I mean, I think it kind of leads into this other thing here I have, which is it's not even a question necessarily. It's more just a note I wrote because, you know, I, I mentioned this video much earlier in the video and it's your, your gender confirmation video, which mm -hmm. I really think for a lot of folks who... You know, they know what the word trans is, but they don't understand it necessarily. That is a really great video to understand it because that's you really just selling so much about your personal experience and the reasons why you become who you are today and who you are and your authentic, true self. Uh, so I really urge anybody who's out there who doesn't really understand what this all means, like, check out that video. I think that's going to help you really understand things. But, uh, you know, I don't think this is a direct quote, but one of the things you said that was essentially just like how you felt like you were living a life for someone else and for other people and not necessarily for you. Mm -hmm. And that got me thinking, that's really the antithesis of Star Trek. 
Because, yeah. you know, we go back to Wrath of Khan, and everybody's favorite quote is the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. But when it comes to mental health, it is really very much the needs of the one outweigh the many. And, you know, your singular experience is going on to affect so many other people. That's kind of an amazing thing to think about. So I, I don't have mm. a question. I just would love to hear your comments on that, just on that thought of, you know, yeah, if any of that resonates with you, I guess. No, it, it speaks to it speaks to what we're talking about this whole time with infinite diversity and combinations. Like there's there's the phrase like there's universal and the specific. The more specific a story is, the more specific something is, the better we're able to relate to it. Because again, you know, as I said way way back at the beginning of our conversation, like people view transness as this mysterious other thing, but we all experience it in some ways. You know, I I I talk about like living for other people i also talk about like feeling like i'm living in between two worlds like i was i I was a girl inside but i i was seen as a boy and, and never able to really live up to either but i've had people who come up to me that like said i, I resonate with that as a as an, a child of a, a of like a, a biracial person you know living from two different cultures and never knowing which one i really belong to or an immigrant person where i like moved to the united states but never really felt fully a part of it but also felt like i only knew america Cause that's where I grew up and, and like those stories. And I am like, oh, I resonate with, like, I see those stories. And, like I resonate with that too, my own self. It's because we're all human beings experiencing these things. And yes, we experience them in our own specific, unique ways, but we all feel the same emotions. And, you know, I, I think that that is just why infinite diversity and infinite combinations is so important because it showcases that despite everything, we are all still very much the same, even despite the infinite variations upon the theme that we could have. Um, and that's why I, I, I love Star Trek and why I love being me, why I love seeing things from so many different perspectives, why I love learning things from so many different perspectives. Um, and you know, that, that phrase, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the uh, few or the one, uh, people always say that and it, it, it comes up a lot, but it, it also, people forget that that is refuted, not refuted, but reflected back in, in Star Trek, uh, the search for Spock. Where he says sometimes the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. And and at the end of that movie. And it's it's about the 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 community caring for the individual and the individual caring for the community and the re- reciprocation that constantly goes back and forth for that. I think a lot of the time, and I think a lot of our culture today uh, aggrandizes the individual at the expense of the community um today. Uh like it's all about like individual wealth, individual success, individual power, uh building yourself up. Um, and, and I think that that's a major problem with our society today. Um, but also, uh, you know, it, it, sometimes you don't want to lose yourself in the community either. That's the Borg, you know, right. You're just losing completely subsuming yourself to the will of, of this giant community and and not caring for yourself and and not caring for your own personal traumas and experiences. So there's the, the back and forth. And I I think it is just that, like the balance between community and individual and, and making sure to respect both and, and work for both. And there's never going to be a perfect balance. Again, that's, uh, that's life. You know, life is, is constantly striving for that ideal. Again, I'll quote Star Trek again, because why not? Um, but it's my favorite. This is my favorite quote uh, in all of Star Trek. And it is data um, to paraphrase him in the episode, the offspring where he says, we must strive to be more than we are. We will, it does not matter that we'll never reach our ultimate goal the effort yields its own rewards. And I love that because it's like, we'll never be perfect. We'll never get that balance right. But we always must strive for it. Um, and, I, and I think that that's just, it's such a beautiful message to be like, it's okay that we're imperfect because as long as you're pursuing trying to be better, I think that's what 
what um, what matters most. All right. So, Jesse, as we wrap things up here today, got to ask you the question. I love to ask all my guests here. What is the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Oh, oh God. Uh, I think the best thing about being a Star Trek universe, part of the Star Trek universe, is the community. Just the people that I get to meet conversations like this, uh, getting to just meet other people and, and the joy of just getting to see the fact that that ideal of infinite diversity and combinations and taking delight in others is not just part of the show, but part of how we, we as fans experience it. Um, and I, I, I really do just adore that with all of my heart that it's, it's, it's not a value of the show. It's a value of the people that watch the show and love the show. And I think that that is, that is what I love most about it. Just the community. Awesome answer. Well, Jesse, uh, thank you so much today for being with us, chatting all about this, because we, we covered some pretty hefty yeah, topics. Yeah, we went all over the place. It was great. We really did, yeah. And, you know, as I've said before to you, uh, you know, off camera, I, you know, I didn't want to have this conversation with anybody else but you, because, you know, as much as you might not want to be an ambassador, <laughs> you are a, a great spokesperson for, I think, helping people understand what the trans experience is. And more than just that, you're an awesome person and you're a cool Trekkie. So, uh, you know, thank you so much. And I love all your videos. I cannot wait to see what else is coming down the pipeline. And especially, you know, because I think one of the things I enjoy the most is that you're really informing, but you're informing through entertainment, not just straight up education. And that's a really hard thing to do. And you do that really wonderfully. So I cannot wait for DS9 sex and Star Trek video <laughs> and all the rest you're going to be making and everything else you're going to do on your channel. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You got, you got a lot to live up to, but I'm, I'm excited to do it. So thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trek Untold, all one word. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold, which gives you access to some great perks that can't be beat. Or pick up some merchandise from our store, or use my Amazon shop link to check out all kinds of different Star Trek merchandise. Links for all these things are in the show notes. Shout out to Triple Fiction Productions for being a key sponsor of Trek Untold. Don't forget to check them out and all of the fine folks whose ads you've seen or heard on this podcast, too. If you have any questions, feedback, or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest or discuss sponsorship options for any of these episodes in the future, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. I hope to see you here again as we uncover more untold stories from Star Trek and beyond and get to know even more amazing people who have contributed to this ever-expanding universe. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by Treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms, is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today. <laughs>